0: You're listening to After Images, a podcast for cinephiles that takes a deep dive into moving images. Each episode features a special guest who is invited to explore a film of their choice. After Images is hosted by film writers Frank Bouleg and Marisa C. Hayes.
1: Today's episode features a discussion with author Amber Parks about Alice, Jan Schmack Meyer's first feature-length film. Alice is the artist's take on Lewis Carroll's first Alice book, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Released in 1988, the film combines live action and stop-motion animation. As in Schwenkmeyer's other films, Alice is a powerful surrealist work of art that plunges the young protagonist and the viewer into a dream where nonsense and dark undercurrents feed the narrative, whether or not we manage to keep our head intact until the closing credits.
0: Amber Sparks is the author of an upcoming novel, Happy People Don't Live Here, and four collections of short fiction, including And I Do Not Forgive You, Revenges and Other Stories, and The Unfinished World. Her fiction and essays have appeared in American Short Fiction, The Paris Review, Slate, Tin House, Granta, The Cut, and elsewhere. She lives in Washington, D.C. with her husband, daughter, and two cats. Amber Sparks, thank you so much for joining us today. Welcome to After Images podcast. Hello, it's lovely to be here. (laughs) We are really looking forward to discussing Jan Schwanckmeier's Alice with you. And we always like to begin by asking our guests, why did you choose this film and what does it mean to you? Yeah, um, I
2: actually chose the film... Because uh, it does have sort of a special meaning to me. Uh, I I watched it for the first time uh, when it was on Criterion. I think um, during the pandemic, uh, and I watched it with my daughter. I was like, I was desperate for things to watch with her. She's she's eight now, but at the time, I think she was like four. And, uh, I had sort of exhausted all of the usual options and was getting into like the really wretched, awful children's fair that I just didn't, I couldn't bear to watch as a film person. Um, and so, you know, I think Criterion had this, uh, um, animated, um, sort of a theme or whatever. Um, and I found Alice and I said, oh, well, Alice in Wonderland, that's, great we love we all love Alice um and I do uh that's it, I've had, going back many years I've had a love affair with um with Alice and that story but uh in this case I thought well I will watch this with my daughter because obviously it's appropriate for children and uh and it was funny because I watched it and I actually it is I think appropriate for very appropriate for children um perhaps not all children uh but my daughter is uh we you know her nickname's Wednesday Adams. We she sort of <laughs> she has a certain sensibility that that it worked very well for her actually. She preferred it to all of the more sort of saccharine uh, Alice uh, interpretations that she's seen. Um and it's got this very, you know, mischievous uh, anarchic quality to it um that none of the other adaptations have. And I was I had never seen anything by Jan uh, Schwenkmaier. And I was like, what is this? What have I, this is amazing. Um, and so I, oh, no, I'm gonna use a terrible metaphor here, but I I went down a rabbit hole after that of, uh, you know, check animation and sort of stop motion animation and, um, and the Brothers Quay and all of these things that even though I'm a longtime film buff, I had never actually encountered really or just encountered here and there, but um, never really in a systematic way. So Alice was sort of the start of all of that. And I really got into a lot of that during the pandemic and um, uh, and, you know, found it a really wonderful distraction, frankly. And it's very funny because Alice is now my daughter's favorite movie, she will tell you. <laughs> um and of course all her friends are like oh yeah i've seen that movie too and i'm like just tell, yeah it's it's fine just don't don't tell them which one it is
1: <laughs> and what is it you think that attracted your daughter's um attention to the film is it the the dark tones of the film or is it the dreamy aspect of it
2: yeah i mean i both i think you know i read that um i was re- you know reading up Uh, on on the film afterwards and and sort of approach to it and I read that he approached it as a dream and that that's what he loved about he wanted to take on this this subject that he didn't see it as this sort of moral tale which so many people have interpreted as he saw it as much more dreamlike um and I think I think children actually, I don't think it would just be my daughter, like I feel like those children in general would love that that version because it does, children have that very um, anarchic, very sort of uh, chaotic version of, or vision, excuse me, of of life and uh, as things, um, things that are dreamlike and very surreal in a lot of ways and they actually love that and accept that I think a lot more than uh, adults tend to. Uh, it it's just sort of second nature. Adults are like, why are why are there socks and why are they moving in and out of the floor? And my daughter's like, that's great. I love that. <laughs> uh, you got like questioning why would the filmmaker make that choice? She's just like, well, of course. Um, and so I actually think in some ways uh, she loved that. She loved the dark tones as well. Um, it, it just it has that sense uh I think of like Bruno Bettelheim and this sort of idea of children being very dark people in many ways uh and are having this um sort of wicked streak uh the role doll children as which you know uh children I think generally tend to love those characters and be drawn to them because they do have a bit of a sense of uh, of um of meanness inside of them or the ability to, to, to sort of have that meanness, um, particularly when it comes to adults, right? And dealing with adults. So uh,
0: I think she was sort of drawn to all of that. <laughs> I love that. That makes so much sense too, to think that, you know, we don't expect um, life to make sense, especially when we're young, that we just accept these kind of absurdities. But I was also thinking that even though I never had the good fortune to watch this film when I was young, Um, I discovered it as a young adult. I imagine the children would also really relate to the title character being the main focus of the film and everything being shown from her perspective. She has so much agency, I think, in terms of like, we don't even see older sister Dinah's face in the beginning. Everything is really focused on Alice and kind of the absurdity of of the adult world and more the things that make sense to her in that dreamlike space. I'm just wondering if your if your daughter also said anything about the character of Alice or the fact that there was this young actress who carries the entire film.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, she did. She she it's funny because, you know, we watched the um Alice in Wonderland, the Disney version, like a hundred times or whatever, and she never particularly identified with Alice or uh was attracted to that character in any way. Um and Uh, It wasn't really until she saw this version that all of a sudden she decided she wanted to dress like Alice. She demanded that I go out and get her uh, a little dress um, and like white socks. (laughs) And it was very funny. Um, And uh, I think she called it her British child uh, style. She said, I want to be like a little British child. Um, (laughs) Like, well, I don't think that's what they look like nowadays, but, you know, that's fine. Uh, Yeah, so she did. But she did very much, I think she didn't necessarily articulate why but I think she did identify with that that character sort of for the first time probably because of that perspective um and because she's not so saccharine and sweet right and you know I know in the in the the Disney version there's sort of moments where she steps out of of being this sort of sweet character but uh for the most part it's this very moralistic sort of frame that Disney popped onto it um as opposed to the, you know, there's no, there's no sense of that. I think kids can probably relate much more to uh, the way that Alice moves through this dream world, um, that the young girl moves through this dream world and the new one, or not the new one, but the Schoenckmeyer one.
1: I think it's all very interesting because we were discussing before um, this um, uh, conversation, the fact that um, at the beginning of the film, there, there's a statement that the film is for children. Uh, And I was wondering, I mean, to what extent is that real? Because, I mean, it it is dreamy, but it is also a bit nightmarish at moments. And I was wondering how uh, they could relate to that. Um, And uh, what you're saying is interesting, because it shows that children are not yet formatted to like a certain type of story, a a certain type of storytelling, and that they are actually more open than uh, what we think they are to new forms of Art and to new forms of storytelling, aren't they?
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I've I've definitely found that to be true with my daughter, and it's it's surprising to me even the things that she will be scared of, or or that will um, be more intriguing than scary. Um, some of you know, the things that happen in uh, in this film are very nightmarish, right? There's a scene where um, the the lizard guy um, uh, gets killed or whatever, and then and then sort of comes back to life, and then all the toys kind of uh, come back to life and try to chase Alice, and you know she turns into a creepy doll at several points, and there's things that to adults, right, it it comes off as very nightmarish and, and horrific, but I my daughter was not afraid of any of those parts, um, particularly they were just very intriguing. Um, And it was actually interesting, even even the way that I would say, so she first saw the film when she was about four, four and a half, and then uh, saw it again uh, more recently, because we watched it together before uh, before I was going to do this podcast. And the parts that scared her this time were more parts that would, I think, be a little scarier to a grown up Um, already, even at eight and a half. She had sort of that that part of her brain that told her, oh, this is what to expect and not to to expect in a film had suddenly developed. And you know, then she did sort of find the bill part scary and uh then and, and the idea of turning into a doll was creepy, whereas it was not creepy at all when she was four and a half. It was just fascinating. Like, what if I turned into a doll? That would be really interesting. Mm. A <laughs> thought experiment, right? Um and And then, by the time she's eight and a half suddenly, that that has already become sort of a, a nightmarish prospect
0: mm-hmm.
2: it's It's interesting to It's been interesting to see uh, i've I've been long very fascinated by surrealism, um both in film and in and in fiction. um and that's and actually art too. that's sort of my subject. And so my poor child has been this unwilling uh, participant in. <laughs> Being exposed to a lot of surrealist uh, imagery um, uh, in film and art and everything, but she, it's it's so it's been really interesting to actually even watch how her vision of the surreal sort of changes um, as she gets older.
0: Well, I know we want to come back to the subject of surrealism and writing, and for sure talk to you about your own work in writing and how that might relate. Um, But just to jump on the idea of surrealism in this film, in particular, and I know you mentioned that you've also been watching a lot of Czech animation recently. I was thinking about this kind of hybrid mix of object and live action that we see and just how responsible is that for this kind of surrealist effect, the kind of enchantment that we we get from watching this film yeah,
2: I think it's very um very much responsible for that effect. I think there's i was I was just thinking, watching this again, how there's so few films that really make use of of more than one visual medium um and how jarring and interesting it is, right? Uh, there's I, I can think of especially in American film, I can think of very, very few um. You know, there's there was this sort of period where you had Jim Henson. I mean in the 70s and 80s, right? There was there was sort of this explosion of I would say more experimental approaches to uh, to animation. You had like the rotoscope thing and you had um the Jim Henson and the puppets, and uh you had sort of this um uh you know cutout animation, right? They do sort of like in um Yellow Submarine and, and some of the um Monty Python films and things like that um but i feel like that and and actually even stop motion right and ray harryhausen um for example the 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 sort of 70s and 80s uh, films that used actors and live action and um these stop motion monsters um and i think it was such an interesting time because they were just like throwing things at the wall to see what stuck and it created this really bizarre juxtaposition in many of the movies that I don't even think was intended necessarily um like when you watch like you know the Jason movies or the Sinbad movies I don't think they were supposed to be particularly art films in any sense but sometimes they they take on this very interesting surreal aspect um just because you have these these clay claymation stop motion skeletons dancing in this um in this front of this very painted backdrop and it's just the weirdest thing, um watching it now, um so I de- I definitely think the the objects uh in the 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 actual um live action combined with the stop motion um and some of these other mediums and the cut pieces too right there are, there's this the car the playing cards and sort of the the uh, 2D cutout figures um, that also figure in into the story. Um, so there's the objects, there's the live action, like human character, which I think is just Alice, I believe. And then there's uh, the also these like 2D figures um, as well as sort of like the the puppets and um, some of the more 3D figures or, you know, live action ish figures. Um, so yeah, it is a really interesting mishmash of stuff, and it, um I think it all sort of combines to have this this very uh, unsettling effect because you don't you go you don't quite know where you are in in reality uh, or or which world you're supposed to have one foot in, um and and where you are and things. And just like in the actual like it's very similar to the actual. Uh, book. In many ways, I think it gets the closest to the to the original um, Atlas book because uh, that is very dreamlike and you are constantly stepping from one environment into a completely different environment where it's not just that uh, suddenly you're in a garden and you were in, um, uh, you were talking to a caterpillar. It's more that uh, ev- the rules have all changed, right? suddenly everything is different about that environment. And, and suddenly now you're a doll and now, you are, and now you are, have, you're not just shrunken, the way that you actually are able to interact with the environment around you uh, is completely different. Um, so I find that it sort of keeps you unsettled throughout the entire, the entire film.
0: Well, that's such a good point. And it reminds me too, that all of these different techniques and the kind of diversity of art objects that you find with these stop motion films in particular, you know, it feels a bit like a buffet in terms of having all these different variety of visual representations that can give you that kind of emotional effect um, to really experience a variety of feelings and sensations as you're watching. And it makes me a little sad that so many audiences today would sort of chuckle at these techniques because they're a bit antiquated or because you don't have the same kind of continuity that you would have with certain special effects in more commercial films. And I'm so glad that someone like your daughter is lucky enough to get this good start in life to go back and start to look at some older classics and have that more um, an exposure to the diversity of filmmaking techniques and styles. I think that's so important. And I'm sure as a writer, you would agree how absurd it would be if we said that there's only one voice with which you could Mm -hmm. write
2: diversity. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think there, I do feel like I sense that there's a pushback happening now um and it 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 feels um it feels like there's just a, a reaction to the sort of um I don't know flattening which sounds like the wrong word but the flattening of animation in general um you know their Pixar look sort of took over for a long time and everybody was trying to make the same kind of thing these like sort of bouncy round uh 3D you know characters um and I think, um, and also just the, the the idea of everything being CGI, right? And no practical effects. Um, and for a long time, it was sort of, you'd watch these Ray Harryhausen movies and, you know, people would sort of make fun of them and be like, oh, doesn't this look silly? And how stupid, this dinosaur doesn't look like a real dinosaur, uh and and didn't understand sort of that that wasn't really the point that it wasn't that they were trying to make something looked 100 percent real they were trying to depict something in film in some way that would make you feel something um and i think there's been a, a, a enough sort of exposure to this flattening effect that cgi and the sameness of animation has really had to the point where a lot of people are, I think, starting to try to do something a little different. I mean, you have Miyazaki coming out of retirement to, you know, with his hand drawn style, ranting and raving against his son, you know, doing the, the the three D bandwagon, joining the CGI bandwagon, and you have um, uh, that's and I cannot remember their name. I feel so bad. But the Irish studio that does um did like Wolfwalkers and Secret of Kells. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Book of Kells. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and Song of the Sea, which are beautiful films and and really interesting to look at. And um, and like Guillermo del Toro had his stop motion Pinocchio, um, which was had some issues with the film, I thought, but but it was trying, and that was cool. The the style was really interesting, and um, so I do think that there is even like Coraline, right? And Corpse Bride and some of those films. I mean, I know they use some computer animation as well as just the stop motion, but um, sort of, I do see people sort of going back to that um, a little bit more and realizing, I think that there was something there that was interesting and that we're, we're all sort of tired of these CGI fests and this same sort of animation and um maybe people want a different way to see something.
1: So I do agree with you when you said that um there's a certain feeling by some people that stop motion is basically for children. When actually I think um I mean it's so much more than that. I mean yes it can be for children, but at the same time um, and this is very interesting to um, analyze Alice through the eyes of a child, um, because uh, children are trying to figure out the rules of the world. And so for them, um, um, a box can talk. I mean, who says it can't? I mean, un- yeah. uh, until you've figured out that they don't actually in our reality do that. Uh, who says that um, uh, objects uh, are uh, have the right to have a life of their own? And um, I think this is what is so powerful about stop motion, maybe, is the fact that all of a sudden all those objects are given back the life that we thought they could have when we were children.
2: Yeah. No, I think that's beautifully put. I love that. I, I think that's exactly right. Uh, there's, there's. That's one of the things that I find most interesting about a lot of surrealist art in general um that's for instance the art of like Remedios Farrow or um uh Lanar Carrington objects have life there there are all these objects that have um that are growing or you know tables that suddenly have actual legs or are growing sort of plants out of the the heads of um dressers and and boxes have mouths and and I think that's that's very true here as well. I think, and and that's you see that throughout um, Schunkmeyer's uh, stuff, right? Is it objects have life, and all of these different objects sort of come to life in a way that is uh, not necessarily only there for the benefit of entertaining children. It can sometimes be frightening or unsettling, or or. But but they're they're not there just for us. They they actually have their own sort of sense of life, which is often very alien, right? It's not it doesn't actually make any sense in terms of a human, um, human ideas and emotions, which is I think very cool.
0: Maybe we can segue a little bit into writing as well because we have your wonderful book, and I do not forgive you here,
2: <laughs> the great cover. I love that cover. Um,
0: It'd be interesting to hear perhaps first what your relationship is to Lewis Carroll's um, writing and how that may have influenced you as a writer.
1: Because there's yeah, like um, one of the short stories is uh, titled Through the Looking Glass, Isn't It?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that's... Alice has haunted my writing for my entire life, I think, or, or as long as I can remember. Um, I remember seeing it when I was... Too small to even remember, and like probably a lot of children, and um, and immediately being taken with the idea of, of the uns the unsettling, destabilizing aspect of it. Um, I love that and. I've always, I think, been sort of obsessed with that in my writing. Um, and and I remember seeing on TV, actually, in the 1980s, there was this TV version of Through the Looking Glass. And I hadn't read, I had read um, Alice, but I hadn't read Through the Looking Glass. Um, uh, and I read it after I saw the TV show, but it was, uh, you know, they had the, the chessboard and the queens and all of that. And um, I was very taken with this idea that there was uh, of a world behind this, you know, she just step into the mirror, right, into a different world. That even seemed to me more exciting in some ways than, um, than the idea of falling asleep on a riverbank because that was obviously a dream. But then being able to actually step into a mirror sort of gave it a more uh, surreal aspect. Is this real or is it not? We don't know. Um. So, uh, yeah. There it, and then I have a lot of stories that that. Have echoes or shades of Alice in some way, even just in small ways. So the the Through the Looking Glass is one. I actually in my novel, uh, actually I have a novel that comes coming out in 2025, early 2025, um, and it's the main character's name is Alice. Um, and there are it's not it's not very much about Alice, but there are some some callbacks, a few callbacks. Her, her uh, entire family is obsessed with miniatures. Um, and and small things, um, dollhouses and things. So um, there's always just pieces of that. I think there's just so much to play with in the Alice story um, for writers, for filmmakers, for whoever. That that there are that are there are aspects that everyone's drawn to. I think um, I actually took an interesting course uh, again during the pandemic. Lots of free time, uh, sort of. Um, and, uh, I took a course, uh, with somebody who was actually, that was actually about Alice. Um, it was like Alice and surrealism or something like that. I forget. And it was just like a little five week course. And one of the things we had to do was everybody had to pick the character that it, that you sort of saw as a, a totemic figure or as something that you were particularly drawn to, uh, in Alice, um. And that was very interesting because everything, it means something different to everybody, right? um,
0: Was it Alice or was it someone else?
2: (laughs) I can't actually remember who I picked. I I don't, was not a caterpillar? Um, Oh, you know, I think it was the White Queen. I think that was, that was who I ended up picking. Um, But it's, you know, different at different times, I would say um often Alice as well most of the time but yeah it's it was it was interesting because um it's it's symbols right it's all symbols and so that what you do with it can be a really a huge variety um and and the riffs are sort of endless which is nice I mean that's even even um not to go back to go back to Myers for a second but his um I think the title of the film, and I am not even going to try to say it in Czech, but um, it's something, I think it's something of Alice is how it translates. So it's not the Alice story. It's not Alice as it's sort of popular translated. It's actually something of Alice, um, which to me is a riff on the Alice
0: story. I thought that was really interesting too that the original Czech title seems a lot more potent somehow than just simply Alice (laughs) especially because the young girl who plays Alice and who kind of introduces each section with a close-up on her mouth as she's speaking a bit of dialogue, because there's not a whole lot of dialogue in the film, but we have this kind of narrative intro to each section. And I think it's um, reusing that formulation, if I'm not mistaken, from the subtitle translation that Alice got, and it's kind of coming from her interiority. So that's yeah, exactly yeah. like what you're saying. Yeah.
1: Are you familiar with the rest of his filmography? Have you seen other films by Frank
0: I had now.
2: I had not at the time. Ah, uh, but then I I went back and and I haven't seen them all yet. Um, some are hard to to find, but um, uh, I've seen a bunch, um, including like Little Otic, which I <laughs> did not show to my daughter. <laughs> so this might be a little too scary. It's uh,
1: to, you know, the log lady personally.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, totally. And I love that 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 sort of folk uh folk horror uh, mm-hmm. that it evokes. So that was really cool. But yeah, that and like Faust and um and, and some of the uh shorter films as well, the jabberwocky and the dialogues and some of those. So yeah, um, but I'm still still. I was looking at my list today, and I was like, "Oh, I still have a lot of these. I need to I need to find and watch." So, um, I actually got. I actually it was very funny. I had a real fail of parenting where I got the um, uh, the Brothers Quay set, uh, with all with all of their films, their short films, because I thought, "Oh, well, if she likes Alice, maybe she'll like these." And so <laughs> we we watched uh the Street like, Street of Crocodiles and and some others, and she was like. What the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> i no thank you i'm bored out of my mind i I'm like she watched like a couple and she was game but she was like yeah no bye <laughs> so we're gonna work so, on bye.
0: that
1: <laughs> <laughs> But this sort yes, of amazing with uh, Schwanck-Mayer is that it remains very, I mean, it, it's very abstract, very surreal, but it is very engaging at the same time. Uh, I'm always impressed by um, how sharp his editing and framings are. I mean, it's always it's like a clockwork, um, and, and it, it draws it, it draws you uh, inside the story. Uh, it doesn't leave you outside.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's exactly right. And I and I I love the idea that there's sort of this. You get to see the inner workings. Mm-hmm. There's a. It's it's very meta, right? It's always very meta. Go, speaking going back to writing, there's there's this sense of a story within a story always. Um, whether it's the you know puppets or it's um you know, somebody looking through a looking glass or it's uh, uh the stage, right? Um, whatever you're sort of seeing and then you know there's wind up dolls and there's strings and there's um, scissors cutting out things and there you know there's this always sort of the sense of things working um, or seeing the actual like production itself um, as well as the the sort of the story around it so it's got all these layers absolutely yeah
1: um uh, earlier on you said that um even before starting to watch the films of frank meyer you were already a film buff what what sort of films are you into
2: <laughs> um so many uh I, that's a hard question um to answer but uh, i would say let's see what do i especially love um uh, probably horror uh horror films in particular um that's just my favorite genre always. Uh, every my and my husband and I are both very into horror and so uh, October in our house is <laughs> like that's all we do. that's for the entire month. Um, and actually we're still kind of finishing up some films now but uh, and then so my daughter's been indoctrinated into that as well um which might have a little bit to do with the the Wednesday Adams thing. Uh, but yeah, I love I, I classic films in particular, classic horror, uh, universal horror. Um, I almost chose for this uh, Val Lewton. I have to talk about Val Lewton because I have a, a great love for Val Lewton's films. Um, uh, and I was actually just talking to somebody else about The Seventh Victim the other day. Um, I, I, I love uh, spaghetti westerns. I love noir. <laughs> There's so many, um, just everything. I'm a huge film buff.
0: Um, yes, you're obviously a really... Um, have a a wide range of cinephile interests. Um, (laughs) Are there concrete examples of how that manifests in your writing process? Just as I imagine there are many books that were influential for you, like um, Lewis Carroll's writing. What about film? How does that relate to your own writing practice? Yeah, I think quite
2: a bit. Um, I I definitely am a visual writer uh, and oftentimes setting is actually more important in my, in my stories, um, in my writing than plot. (laughs) It probably is. Um, I am always thinking very visually when I think, when I am writing, um, and I'm always thinking about, uh, sort of the, 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 not just the setting, but the, the, the visual tone of what I'm writing as well. Um, so I, I do think a lot in terms of sort of a cinematic way when I'm writing. Um, I think that's only gotten crazier as I've gotten older, um, and, and, you know, just been exposed to more and more interesting things. As soon as when I was a kid in college, like taking my film classes and suddenly being overloaded with these things that I'd never seen before, um, these amazing films, um, I was, uh, it sort of spurred a whole new kind of writing um, in a much more, I think, surrealist style in a lot of ways, um, and uh, so yeah, I think I think it's a big influence, and and it's sort of, it's sort of also an influence in the sense that I get this somewhat obsessive personality, uh, and when it comes to consuming media, and so I will get into these. Like I don't know moods, whatever. Where I, where I, there's something that I'm just going to consume obsessively, watch obsessively. And like for instance, I went through a phase where I was just like a, I was like I'm going to watch and rewatch every David Lynch film, <laughs> um, and, and television show. Um, and so then that also will really affect the writing that I'm during that doing during that period for for fairly obvious reasons. Um, so yeah, it is definitely. I think. I, I, I go back and forth. I actually, at one time, I did want to be a film director. Um, my my original training is actually in uh, acting and directing. Um that was what I went to school for. and um I was going to go to film school and do all that jazz. and um uh, then I sort of chose this other path, but it's still it's still always there, and I still am thinking a lot in terms of the interplay uh, between. Um, art and film and and uh writing on the page
0: that's so interesting to hear about the different kind of film thematic film cycles or director cycles that you go through because it sounds almost like an important part of your practice in terms of you know you say that that definitely influences your writing and i can imagine that when you finish a story or a novel that you might recall what you were watching at that time or how it's played out um
2: yeah, absolutely. No, I'm a very embarrassing sort of writer in the sense that like I'm less, I I I will have conversations with people and they're just like I just sit down and write and I'm like, "Wow, I have I have to listen to this particular kind of music." and only watch these particular kind of films and i've also been you know going to the art museum to see very specific exhibits about x y and z and only reading these types of books and it's like oh my god it's it's um it's a very different kind of practice that sometimes kind of seems very over the top but i do think the only way that i can write is to is is having this Uh, almost obsessive idea of tone and texture. uh, And that is its own thing. A lot of what I write is probably, I would say, gothic or gothic influenced in some way. And and that's all tone, right? It's it's so, I think that for me, just surrounding myself with all of this media, that um, all of this visual media, that reflects that tone just helps me to sort of keep it in my head and create it. It's like my version of being a, meth- a method actor. <laughs> not really. I know that's not really being a method actor,
0: but. Um, it's like but you're curating yeah. a certain atmosphere that you want to really. Yeah.
2: Um, method writing, <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. And um, can you tell us a little more about that upcoming novel of yours?
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, so it is uh, uh, called Happy People Don't Live Here. <laughs> Lovely, charming title. Um, and it is, but it's funny, I think, I hope. I think it's funny um, in a in a dark way. Um, it is actually a sort of modern gothic novel. I think that's what the jacket copy says. Um, and it's uh, about a mother, Alice, and her daughter, Fern who live in this sort of crumbling old sanitarium uh, that is now uh, an apartment building uh, where a lot of uh, people go to hide. Um, And there's a lot of secrets and there are ghosts, real ghosts, uh, as well as metaphorical ghosts. um, And uh, lots of strange things happen, including a a mystery (laughs) uh, and a dead body. So,
1: yeah.
2: Uh, no rabbits but there are rabbit
0: holes <laughs> yeah it definitely sounds very if we can that, if that's a term um, and I'm just wondering if you could tell our listeners um, and particularly in this day and age when a lot of younger people aren't really, or so I'm told, because I can't count myself among them anymore. Um, they're not necessarily going back and looking at older films that are more than five to ten years old. What would you give as um, an enticing reason for someone to discover Schwank Mayer's Alice? Yeah, uh, I
2: know, isn't that, this 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 like depresses me so much, because uh, I, I still, re- I remember being in college and being young because i am no longer young but i once was and i remember like wanting to get into those old films and and that was sort of this mark of sophistication if you you know that you could go back and you would watch these you know very artsy films and and feel very cool because uh you discovered them and um so it's just crazy to me that like that's not, not a thing anymore or that you know young people don't don't want to do that anymore um but uh i I think, I mean, a couple of things, I have a couple of thoughts on this. Um, I think that people are introduced to a lot of films in the wrong way um, or the wrong films. And uh, for example, if you're trying to get your kid really into black and white films, older films, you know, maybe there there are some things that are not going to be enticing to them. Um, but like, for example, we actually started, my my daughter and I started watching, um, and my husband, the Marx Brothers. Uh, and we watched Buster Keaton um, and Charlie Chaplin films. And like, I feel like most people would she'd say, oh my God, you can't expose an eight year old to silent film. But my she loved it and I've talked to other friends whose children have also you know watched silent film and loved it because it's pure physical comedy it's the best thing for kids right they like there's nothing they like better than like slapstick um and 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 suddenly it helps them sort of get over that hump of I'm watching something that's very old or I'm watching something that isn't familiar to me and it's 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 black and white and that's weird and I don't know what I'm seeing because it's in a, it's paced differently it, they sort of get over all of that because they realize oh this can also make me laugh and it's and it it is very funny and I am enjoying watching it and suddenly there's not this sort of stigma about black and white movies or whatever so I feel like that's one thing is just finding the 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 movie that works for you just as sort of an entry point but well, um, but I don't even think that's a problem with Alice because Alice is not even a, it's a an older silent film or a black and white film or something that would be like quote unquote inaccessible in some ways. I feel like right off the bat, it's it's it feels very modern to me. Um, it feels. I mean, first of all, in my head, I'm like 1988. That was like yesterday, right? But <laughs> sadly, it was not. Um but it feels modern to me. It does not feel like, like an older film. Um, it, it's, uh, both in this sort of experimental aspect, but and the, I guess, metafictional way that it's told. Um, but also, uh, just the, the imagery and the, um, and the pacing and everything actually feels very modern. So I, I, but I feel like also, uh, like I always tell to when I'm teaching younger students um give it like 10 minutes <laughs> give just give it 10 minutes or 15 minutes whatever um and then you know do what you will after that but but if you give it 15 minutes I guarantee you're going to get sucked in and you may not know exactly what you're watching but you will be intrigued uh and sometimes that's better than knowing, oh, it's this kind of movie and now here's what I'm in for, right? And, and sometimes that's actually what we need right now most is something that we have no familiarity with and that is absolutely intriguing just the same.
0: Absolutely, great advice.
1: Mm-hmm. No, and I think this relates back to also what uh, we were saying earlier concerning children not yet having been taught what to like and what to dislike. I mean, they are very open yeah. To um silent films to black and white to all sorts of uh, filmmaking, because for them it's all new,
2: yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is not there is no sense. it was funny because again, you see it when I see my daughter aging and actually having more of these preconceived notions as she gets a little bit older, like when she was young, we would show her, I mean, we showed her like Buster Keaton films or whatever when she was like three and four because they're just, it's just like physical language for the most part. Um, There's not much more that you need to bring to it. And she didn't think anything of it. She was just like, oh, this is funny. And then, you know, fast forward to now and she's like, oh, well, I don't want to watch a black and white movie. And then, you know, once you put it on and she gets into it, she's like, oh, this is great. I love this. But then all of a sudden she has this idea in her head already. And I'm like, I don't even know where you got this from. Like what, the kids at school? You're like, I don't want to watch a black and white movie. And like, so I think um yeah there's this there is this really wonderful opportunity when kids are very young and they don't have these preconceived notions and they aren't sort of being influenced in in any way they just are completely as you say completely open to anything and everything that's put in front of them and surrealism is actually the most cool thing for those kids to watch because they just go with it <laughs> they the whole world is surreal to them. Like, so of course they're gonna go with it.
0: Are there other animation projects, um, Czech films or otherwise from other nations that you would recommend to viewers who really appreciate Schwankmeyer? Um, of course, we mentioned the Brothers Quay who pay tribute to Schwankmeyer and really appreciate his work, but any other um, animators from central europe that you might recommend to our listeners yeah um i really liked uh
2: carol zeman's films um and that was another one we actually we watched a bunch of those with my daughter as well and 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 she really enjoyed them so they work really well for kids the sort of bizarre combination of live action and like illustration um was really really interesting um thinking what else uh the i mentioned the Brothers Quay, um, the uh who else? Um, oh god, I kinda I'm gonna butcher this name. I think it's Yerzy Trinka, Mm um, who did the hand and some other stop motion uh puppet films, uh, which are really, really cool. Um, this so it's more this one's uh Fantastic Planet, of course, which is I think a French and Czech collaboration um but that one actually and that's it's funny I was talking to my husband about this podcast and he was like oh that reminds me we got to watch Fantastic Planet with with our daughter so I think we might actually do that tonight um so yeah that was um so I love those and and of course I love um uh a lot of stuff the old like Ray Harryhausen films and things like that I feel like if people haven't seen those like they really should go back and, and watch because they're so much fun um and uh there's some more recent ones obviously like uh Lisa was really good um Lisa uh Wolfhouse I really loved also and I can't remember the name of the animator but it that was I watched that recently I'm not gonna watch that with my daughter but um <laughs> if you've seen it I don't know why but it's definitely <laughs> really appropriate for children um but it's uh but it was wild oh my god that was super interesting um uh so I do I do feel like uh and and I, I'm trying to keep an eye on things now because I do feel like there's new things that are popping all the time that that um stop motion is I don't know if it's like coming back but it's it's making more of an appearance here and there again which is uh really cool I think probably part of that is um uh the ability to sort of combine it with computer animation in a way that makes it a little bit less painstaking to do some of that work um but uh but i think it's 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 really cool so yeah love them too
1: you, you might like um to try to find the films of ladislav starevich mm-hmm. too uh who did uh, a lot of, sort of stop motion in the 30s and 40s mm-hmm. i think he was polish russian but worked in france no time and they are very very interesting working with insects and uh, also with puppets. And they are you know quite um strange but uh, very powerful
0: cool
2: i'll check, I'll check to check that out and that's early too in the thirties that's
0: interesting that's really beautiful work but uh, it's interesting what you mentioned too about the processes changing because yeah, I think we should mention a very laborious process of stop motion and the time and dedication that went into that traditional process. You know, I think um, I was reading that just to make, you know, one minute of film, sometimes certain animators would spend several days on that process. So yeah, it is interesting to know that today it's possible with merging some other techniques that simplify the the process or speed it up in any case. Yeah,
2: I did did think it was really interesting because I was reading that, one of the reasons that that stop motion and or that animation sort of in general fell off um in the Czech republic um was uh, that uh, they actually didn't have the money and and the sort of expertise to do to move into the computer animation phase when everything went computer animation in the 90s and on that they couldn't really compete and it, that was so fascinating to me because of the same like they but they are doing these like incredibly laborious uh things with stop motion um and and hand-drawn but I guess that you know maybe doesn't cost as much either so
0: yeah that really is really helps us to remember too how much economy and and technology are tied to the filmmaking process, as much as we love to talk about the artistic angle and that remaining the heart and soul, there are these kind of, you know, realities that play into how things are made and when they get made.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that the, the I know that the um, Pinocchio, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio got a lot of attention and, and won some awards and things, and so I'm hoping that that will you know, maybe, maybe at least start a tiny, tiny renaissance
1: with people like Wes Anderson too.
2: Yeah. Oh, yes. I forgot about Wes Anderson. Yes, exactly. Um, fantastic Mr. Fox is is so great, and the what was the other one he did recently? I can't remember the name of it, but
0: the Island of Dogs.
2: Island of Dogs, or... the Island of Dogs. Yeah, which was really, which was really interesting. Hmm. Um, so yeah, that's a that's I love his stuff too.
1: So we usually like to close um, the podcast by asking our guests um, if um, there's a question that we haven't asked that um, they would have li- we, liked we us. to wish we, we asked. had asked. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, hmm. I don't know. Do you want? To, what about who's my favorite visual artist? Oh,
1: who's yeah. your favorite visual artist? <laughs>
2: uh, Remedios Varo. Um, that in that everything that I've talked about here today is is reflected very much in her work um the the sort of life of objects the surrealism the symbols um uh the agency of of female characters
0: all of that so oh, she's such a powerful figure I hope that if our listeners are not familiar with her work that they will look her up to see some of the most stunning uh paintings that are out there, <laughs>
2: There, if they're anywhere near Chicago, there is an amazing exhibit right now, Um, at, I think the Art Institute that is uh, uh, features a whole bunch of her paintings that um, typically I think are only uh, in Mexico so awesome. I have not gotten to see it yet, but I hope that I can. <laughs>
0: Well, we really enjoyed today hearing about your experience of Schvankmeyer's Alice, but also the unexpected surprise of hearing about the perspective of your young daughter and her experience of viewing it. I don't think we've ever really discussed on the podcast before um, how film affects children and what a young um, spectator would experience. So it was really, really interesting for us to have that angle today. Thank you so much.
2: Yeah, of course. I'm definitely trying to create a film junkie with all of my, all of my being. So.
1: <laughs> we hope she will continue to watch Frank uh, Mayer's movies and other stop-motion films from the Czech Republic and other places around the world, because there's really a, um, a fascinating universe that can be, uh, that is created by all these artists, mm-hmm. and that sometimes uh, is a bit forgotten, um, looked over.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, yeah, it really deserves to to be brought to the attention of the audiences.
2: I totally agree. I think it was. Um, I was really happy when Criterion did this whole uh, theme around animation. I think, and I think it was. I think it was even stop motion animation. I believe, or maybe not. Maybe it was just. I think it was just the animation, but it was. Um, all of these things that I think, because I not only were they sort of overlooked films, and and uh, I was able to watch many of them for the first time because they're really hard to find um, otherwise, but also I had, I saw lots of people talking about them, um, and you know in my circles, which <laughs> admittedly are not the entire United States, but but you know definitely a lot of people having conversations about uh, these very interesting and bizarre um, and cool. Uh, films. So I'm hoping that uh, there is a little bit of a renaissance happening.
0: We hope so too. And thank you again for your writing. Um, we wish you the best for the new novel that's coming out. Um, and we'll post the link to that under the podcast so that people can find um, your collection of short stories and hear about when the novel will come out. Great. Well,
2: thank you so much. It was awesome to talk to you guys today.
0: Thank you for listening to After Images. Please subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow After Images podcast on social media.